Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Here's what we've been learning. Life works better when there's breathing room. And breathing room is the gap between your current limit, your current pace. Yes, it's often a fast pace. And your current limits. And yes, particularly for our culture, you do have limits. And what we've been learning is there's two ways to find that out. Uh, either uh, you can find it out the easy or the hard way. Uh, the hard way is probably through a couple of hundred dollars worth of counselling or psychologist appointments because life breaks down. Or the easy way is to look at the way that God has ordained breathing room into our lives. And uh, we've, we've seen that breathing room in our space, in our time and our work as Emily shared with us last week. Now here's the problem. In order to cram so much into our life, we end up losing our life. We end up squeezing out the things that matter most and hasn't that happened to some of you already? Particularly when it comes to what I want to talk to you about this morning and that is relationships. We've tried to cram so much into our life that uh, we've seen that a friend no longer calls us back that we've crammed so much in that suddenly five or six or eight or ten years goes past in a marriage and you look at the other person and go, do we even know each other anymore? That there have been loved ones that you've cared about but have been caught in the hustle or bustle and you've missed that opportunity to reflect to them what they've really meant to you. We've felt this. There's no breathing room. And we've lost these relationships. And here's why. Relationships need breathing room to flourish because you can't be efficient at a relationship. It goes a bit like this. You know, it's, not like, it's not like my little guy Zach comes into me and says, Dad, I've been thinking. It's, it's amazing. It's just hit me. I've found a way that you can, you can reduce the amount of active time that you need to spend with me by about 20%. Two words, cubby house. Imagine this, Dad. You can just sit in the lounge room in the comfort of the warmth. You can have the Bible out. You can be prepping your sermon. And all you need to do is look through the windows at me playing in the cubby house. It's amazing. And uh, you can do that in the comfort of your own favorite chair, Dad. And I can be playing there. And look, here's the brochure A, B, and C. I quite like option A and option C. Three easy repayments. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way with. Another special member of our household, we talk about Chapman's five love languages. I think a couple of them are quality time and quantity time. Kristen says to me, I like both. I like quality time and I like quantity time. Um, those in your life like quality time and quantity time, right? I can see a few nods. You can't be efficient at a relationship. But the problem that we're all facing is that we... We come to realise that in our relationships, um, there will always be more to be done than what either we've convinced ourselves need to be done or someone else has convinced us need to be done. Ever felt that tension? That this is not an either or this morning between work and family and friendships. But we understand the tension, right, that when we look at our lives, and if you're doing an inventory in your mind right now of what your life looks like, there is more to be done on the work side than, than you think or can, can convince that you need to be doing. And there is more to be done on the family side that you're convinced needs to happen, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. What do we do with that? 
How do we build breathing room into that when we're already feeling like we're at the limit? Uh, side note before we get into it, you see, and what's fascinating is, you know, I heard one writer talk about the fact that you, know, you, can't, you can't be efficient at a relationship. And if you ask people who are successful in business why they've been successful in business in their work, so often they'll put it down to things like market conditions, they got lucky, the, the context, the fact that their product hit the market before everyone else. Like there's a whole lot of those variable factors. But it, when it comes to someone 30, 40, 50 years that we've seen in this place of a rich, incredible marriage, you never hear those words. Oh, yeah, we had a great marriage because we just got lucky with the market conditions. <laughs> we, we have a great marriage because we got him before everyone else did. No, we've been doing that for some time now. Nothing new. And isn't it ironic that we work like we have an incredible control over our work and yet we treat our friendships, our relationships, our marriages as if we leave it up to God and the market conditions. Does that sound crazy to you? So here's how Jesus helps to solve the problem in the story that we find this morning. We're going to get to that in one sec, but before we do... Here's the question. How do we instinctively try to solve this problem? How do we instinctively try to do it? Here's what happens. Uh, When life is busy and this work side of life over here and the rest of the other things in our life, the distractions, as Jesus put it for Martha, we'll hear about that. Here's what we do with all of these distractions. We take these things and we feel pressured. We feel there's more to do than we can possibly do in this. And we get it and we go and we pick it up and we grab it like a big rock and we we give it to the loved one or the friend that we've got here. And look, I'd love to spend time with you, but can you just hold this rock for me? Because I've got a lot to do. So can you just hold that while I can get back here over to do my work? And every now and then, because we love, we love them, what we do is we come back and we go, how are you going holding the rock? You know, like I've got a lot of stuff to be doing over here and I, I promise we'll get to the game, son. I promise we'll do that. I promise we're going to, at date night, it's going it's to be wonderful. It's going to be fantastic. I promise I've just got to get back to this. And by the way, they keep holding on to it because they love us. And so they keep holding. And then, and then every now and then you start to hear the creaks and the groans of all of this. I feel like we're drifting apart. Daddy, you, I, don't, I don't see you. Why have you got to keep going back to work? Oh, you haven't picked up the phone in ages. I mean, what's happening with our friend? Anyone heard these creaks? They're the creaks of it all, but the worst sound of all is the sound of falling rocks. When we've constantly traded on their love to hold a burden that they were never supposed to be responsible for carrying, and the whole thing drops. And then you hear those words, I think that it's time that we separate. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like we're friends anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's all right, Dad, it's cool. I'll find something else to do. Anyone ever heard the sound of falling rocks? Many of you have in this place. And the crazy thing is some of you said, sworn I would never go back there. I'd never do it again. And you, you can... You're doing the inventory and you can, you can hear the creaks in your relationships already. How do we solve this? It's going to mean a decision and that's what we're going to get to the, by the end of this morning. But Jesus, is, he frames this up. What I love about Jesus, Jesus never calls you and I to do anything that he didn't first have the gumption to do himself. And so we read from this passage 
In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. When Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Jesus decides to just hang out and have a meal. As they were on their way, what, here's the thing. This is the story of Mary and Martha. And that's the way we know it. It's a famous story, right, in the Bible. We know this story, yes. We heard it in Sunday school. You know, the funny thing is I realise reading back on this is this is not the story of Mary and Martha. This is the story of Mary, Martha and Jesus. And what is fascinating, we're tempted to read the Bible and go, oh, as he was on his way, Jesus just decided to pop off to the house with Mary and Martha and have a little bit of high tea with them. But here's the point. As he was on his, what was Jesus doing? With the disciples, Jesus was working. Jesus is in year two of a three-year strategic plan in order to change the world, which worked, by the way. So whatever he did during this strategic plan, we would do well to look at what he did within that. And what we see in the middle of his work is that Jesus stops to have high tea with his friends. Mary, Martha, their brother Lazarus, remember him? The one that Jesus wept over. Lazarus was his BFF. So this was not sort of some ministry lesson whereby Jesus is saying, oh, come on, boys, let's just pop in and have some high tea. He's hanging out with his friends in the middle of work. So here's how we can paraphrase this phrase. In the middle of a crazy boardroom meeting with his 12 employees, and as they're working on their strategic plans, Jesus decided to drop it all and have lunch with his friends. Does that sound crazy to you? It is pretty crazy, but here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing us the secret to his strategic plan, and that is the priority of relationships. The priority of relationships. He says, guys, I'm going to stop. I am still working, by the way, said Jesus, and I want to show you something. Why it is so significant that we hang out with the sisters for afternoon tea? This was not a distraction for Jesus. This was central to his way of life, the priority of relationships. Fascinating story this week. I was having with some friends for Northside. They were down visiting a church in Nara, one of our sister churches down there. And they sat through the service and the sermon. And someone sitting next to them that they got chatted to said, Why don't you come around for lunch? Why don't you come around? It's just soup and toast. It's nothing flash, but do you want to come around for lunch? Do you think they said no to soup and toast? You know, it sounds pretty nice um, down there in the southern highlands. And so, um, so they, they, they go and have lunch. Now, here's the thing. They're telling me this story and the incredible conversation that they had in all of that. Here's the thing. Were they reflecting how wonderful the exposition of Psalm 42 was from the preacher in that moment? No. Um, how fantastic the band was? Um, no, I, I, I didn't get that. Maybe the band wasn't that fantastic. Not that I'm being judgmental, but here's the point. The significance of relationship. In that moment, they walk away from that place, not remembering sermons and music and all the rest of it, but someone said, come for some soup and toast. We're wired for this. And Jesus prioritizes this in saying, let's have lunch with the girls. Now, because he stops, he gifts us with this case study of what happens in relationships, particularly when you look at the example of Martha. It says uh, she had a sister. Uh, they went to the house of Martha. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he says, to listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Now, um. <laughs> I want to preface this by saying I get Martha. I can relate to Martha. You know, she's the studious one. She was the oldest of the three. I'm the oldest of four. 
Uh, so she, she, was, she was the studious one, the one that cares for the family. We've got a few Marthas in the place here. You know, you're the ones at Christmas lunch that all the rest of the family are off slacking, watching the cricket on the television, whilst you're trying to do all the preparations. We've got a few Marthas here. And the ones that are, this, is, this is not someone who's wicked here. This is someone who's, they're trying to get the house ready. You know, the Marthas are the one, you've got a guest coming around and, and, and your husband's still there flicking through the channels on the sport and, you know, the pastor's coming around. So tidy, tidy the house. Put that magazine under the table. We can't show him that, he's, that we're reading that at the moment. Um, you know, they're the studious ones. I can relate to her. I can get, she's indicative of our culture, right? The, the ones that are frantic, that are busy, that have got things to do. We're, we're a culture that's obsessed with working and the martyrization of our culture. And I love what Jesus says to her in this moment. He says, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Uh, other translation says, Martha, why are you so anxious? And what is wonderful in that word, the word underneath anxious there, worried about many things, that's why the NIV translates it that way, is that the word underneath that is a Greek word, marinmus. And directly translated, what Jesus is saying there is, Martha, Martha, why are you so fragmented? Why are you so fragmented? This was not just someone who's a bit worried. Why are you so fragmented? Now, here's what worry does to us, right? Here's what that type of fragmented worry does to us. Martha is representative of many of us. In that moment where we're worrying about a whole heap of different things in our lives, here's what happens. It means at that point in time, we are only ever giving pieces of ourselves to the ones we care about the most. We're only ever giving pieces of ourselves to the ones that matter the most. Jesus is saying, Martha, I'm not so much concerned with your activity as I'm concerned about your attention to me. And you, you know what this is like, right? You've seen it with the family member, or maybe this is you. That fragmentation that comes through in your life, it's, it's, it's the family member or it's you when you're at the Christmas table and you've got a deadline for work that's happening and everyone else is celebrating and you've just thought you could catch a little 30-second daydream for a little bit, but it's a daydream about all the things that you've got to get done. And someone runs up to you and says, what do you think about that? And you blink out of it and go, huh, what, what? Anyone had that situation? Or, or it's, it's like if you've seen these days um, at the park... You go to the park, I can't believe it these days, you, you go to the park and you hear all these kids, uh, they're all playing around the park and all, all, all the mums and the dads are gathered around the park on a Saturday morning sitting at the benches and, and you hear the kids saying, Daddy, Daddy, watch this, Mummy, Mummy, watch this and they've got their heads stuck in their phones on Instagram. Yeah, that's great, hun, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, awesome. We're only ever giving pieces of ourselves to the ones that matter most because we're fragmented now the 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 trick in all of this is that we say oh we're fragmented because we're busy it's just it's just because we're busy but here's the point the busyness is not the cause of the fragmentation the busyness is a result of the fragmentation you hearing me in this what Jesus is saying, we'll see what he says in terms of why Mary got it right, is because he's saying, Martha, you are like this because there is an internal brokenness to you. You are so concerned with the things around you that you've missed this opportunity with me. And so we often say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't do this because I'm just so busy. No, 
the busyness is a result of the inner fragmentation. Dallas Willard said, only lazy people are busy. There's a single-mindedness. And there's a discipline in this in verse 41. As Jesus then says, Martha, Martha, you are worried, upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing is needed. You're fragmented, Martha. But have a look at Mary. She's single-minded. She's found the necessary thing. She knows what to be doing. She's found the secret. Now, some of you are sort of saying, well, which way is it, Sam? You haven't answered the question yet. I've got all this stuff happening on the work side of things. I've got all this stuff happening on the family side of things. And I think I know where you're going with this. Because it's, uh, it's how most preachers preach Mary and Martha when we look at this passage. I've got kids. I've got work. And yet there's a principle here from Mary's side that can revolutionise your relationships. I mean, would it be helpful if you just got one single grid this morning in order to help you with this process? Just one grid to look this, one question, one process, one principle to grid all of life through. Would that be helpful? I'm gonna, it's going to come. It's on its way. Here we go. <laughs> You see, because many preachers preach this passage like this. Here it goes like this. Here's the big idea of about 50 of these sermons. You can see them all on Sermon Central if you look it up. Don't be a Martha. Be a Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. In, in other words, oh, church, you know what your problem is? You're too busy and you're not devoted enough to Jesus. So scrap all the busyness in your life and, and effectively become a monk. Now let's get real. That's not happening here anytime soon for most of us, right? <laughs> I'm not that naive in understanding where most of you are coming from this morning. And you know what? I don't think that that is really what Jesus is showing us in this amazing case study this morning. See, Mary has a genius principle that can look like this, but it's far more nuanced and it's far more powerful. And here's what Mary does. Are you ready for it? Mary doesn't just choose Jesus. Here's the layer underneath that. Yes, she does. But the layer underneath that is this. Mary chooses what is unique to the situation. Mary understands. Martha's busy getting all the high tea together. But I, would, I don't get this guy in front of me every day. And so therefore, I would rather skip a meal than skip my time with Jesus. I would rather do without these things over here and the distractions because I can get these things back at dinner time and the day after and the day after, but I can't get this moment with Jesus back. And so here's the principle applied for you. Don't trade what is unique to you for something that someone else can do. Ready for it again? Don't trade what is unique to you for something that someone else can do. That's the uniqueness of the moment. These moments, now, here's what it looks like for you practically. This moment, this grid, you'll apply, for most of you, you'll apply this at about 5.15, 5.30pm at night when you know you've got to go to pick up the kids from a soccer practice or you've got a dinner date with a friend that you've been trying to get to for ages and then the boss works in, walks in and tells you that they've got this really important report that's due, to, due for, for a presentation to the board tomorrow and so you've got, it's just got to be done now. 
And the reality is if we trace it down, and the reality in terms of remember the market conditions, remember versus the strong marriage, if we dare to look at ourselves deep enough, we have to come to grips with the reality that in two years or three years or five years, someone else is going to be doing my job. And so in that moment, you have a decision to say, am I going to trade what is unique to me for something that someone else can do? And already some of you going, you've spent too long in ministry, buddy. You don't know what it's like. Kristen said to me in a really great way, she said, what if one of your staff members did this to you this week? <laughs> Sam, I'm walking out of here because you preached. You know, I'm going to get some time that's unique to me, so I'm out of here. And that's a really good question, isn't it? So let's go a level deeper in that. Is that it's not just what, what, is unique to, what is unique about you. What is unique about you is not just your physical presence, because you can do that. Yep, I'm listening. Yep, looks great on the playground, hunt. That's awesome. It's not just your physical presence, but it's, it's the presence of your entire soul, you in that moment, 100%. And so if there is a discipline about you that gives 100% into that moment, if you're an employee that gives 100% into that moment, then eventually life will work itself out, um, hopefully by faith in God. We said this is a faith step, uh, that you're going to work your way forward and continue to progress in your career, but you've given 100% in that moment. You're doing what we did a couple of weeks ago. Lord, multiply everything that I did do. I won't do all I can do because you're going to multiply what I did do in that moment. And so it's about being in, in that process of being 100% in the moment, shifting states. Because you know this, you can go home, you can leave early in that moment with the boss, still carry all of that stuff in your mind, go to the recital, go to the dinner with friends, and you're still not present in that moment, right? So it's, it's not just about being physically present, but what is unique about you is 100% of you in that moment. Now, the other one to push back on, you go, you don't know, you don't know what my workplace is like. Can I suggest to you that if you prioritise this as a discipline, these other things will fall to the wayside and when you look back on them, you'll probably realise how unnecessary they probably are in the moment. And that happened to me this week. Is, you know, I tell you, I always try and work through my own sermons before I preach it. I'm, I'm always just sharing what I'm learning in the process. We had this this week. We had our elders meeting at, at 6 p.m. On, on Tuesday night, and it was a crazy day. But in, this, in light of all that we've been talking through, I want to get home and help Kristen with the kids and the bath. And uh, the work was pushing up on me, and it was getting to 4 and 4.30. It was getting to quarter to 5. And I, I, I sat at my desk, and I was having a conversation with people at my desk, and I thought, I'm going to get home for all of 20 minutes. And in that moment, I thought, oh, it'd just be easy to go to the gym and... It'd be just, or I could just belt out a little few more reports, be ready for elders meeting at six. We'll just let this one pass. And then this word comes through. Don't trade what is unique to you for something that someone else can do. The conversation I'm having at the time is about signage. I mean, that's cosmic in, in church, church sense. That's a cosmic concept to have a conversation about signage. And so I went home. We had 20 minutes, 20 minutes just to run in, chuck the kids in the bath. It was like, you know, when you clean a golf ball. It was just... <laughs> Super clean. Drop them in the bath, nothing else, no food, nothing in there. Get them out, get the pyjamas on. I'm going to leave in five minutes. And it was at that moment that Zach came up to me as I was kneeling down and he threw his arms around me and he said, Daddy, thank you for coming home from work for me. No. 
Now some of you are already saying too, oh yeah, I wish I could be a minister so I could go home at four o'clock. <laughs> it's not the point. You work out your schedules. That is one of the blessings of being in this place. But you work out your schedule. My suggestion to you is that that only, ha- I've had many moments like that when I've sat home and on my iPhone and where I've checked out in that process of washing the kids and all the rest of it. But might I suggest to you, if you apply that principle, don't trade what is unique to you for something that someone else can do. When you grid that against your life, you're going to realise how unnecessary the distractions are around you, and you can prioritise that accordingly. As we get ready to finish this morning, you, you know this. I'm discovering this. You only get those hugs once in a lifetime. You only get four-year-old hugs once in a lifetime. You're only in your 20s once. You're only in your 30s once. You're only in your 40s once, in your 50s once, in your 60s once. You know what? God is going to gift you a million of these little moments that are going to go through a cachet, to use a computer term, a cachet of moments that are, that are going to come in, present itself as opportunities and float back out your life unless you are ready to grid this and push the button and say, I'm going to seize that. You will have a million moments to do this week. Do not trade what is unique to you for something that someone else can do. And so we're at the end of the Breathing Room series. Four weeks already, eh? It's been so cool to see how God has moved amongst us as a church. I've got people saying, can you please keep going? <laughs> do another four. No, we're going to learn to go and apply this now. Martha, we see quite clearly, she was distracted, she was fragmented. Mary was single-minded. And as we get ready to finish this morning, we're going to create some more breathing room. Because the only way that we will be able to continue this series on in our life if there is an unseen single-mindedness in each and every one of us. It's the single-mindedness that you see, and ironically, it's going to be the passage for next week as we pick up this new series, a bit of cross-advertising. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the process where the guy's in exile, he's amongst a whole bunch of unbelievers they want him to go and live their way of life he feels the pressure of work coming in against what he stands for and verse 8 of chapter 1 it says but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way in other words there's a principle here that if you predetermine your what this week in terms of what is significant to you down here hidden God's going to work out the how your clever brain's going to work out the how. But it won't work it out unless you've placed that big rock there in your life. And so a couple of minutes as we finish this morning, my question for you that you need to write down, we've done it each week. What do I need to commit to in order to prioritise my uniqueness for those who matter the most? A couple of minutes.
I don't know if it, it crossed your mind as you're going through that process, but for me the question is, I wonder what my life would look like in 10 or 20 years' time if I, if I really trusted God with this. If I really did this. I guess my prayer for all of us is that um, I don't want us to wonder as a church. I want us to take those steps as we walk out of here, as some already have throughout this time together over the past couple of weeks, to try this out and to test God out in this area and to say I will no longer be a slave to the demands and the expectations that float around me. I no longer will be fragmented. And if anything that this Breathing Room series has been about, it's about getting to this moment because we've talked about the fear, we've talked about the uncertainty, we've talked about the anxieties, we've talked about the pushing in of work. And the answer was really clear in this. It says, Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. And we can't leave this morning or for four weeks without saying what is necessary in all of this. We had to go through the nuance so the, it, the answer didn't sound like, well, the answer's always Jesus. But it is, and it's implied in all that we've thought about, talked about over the last four weeks. If there is ever a fundamental relationship that you need to carve breathing room for your life, it is with him. And the principle applies in reverse. Don't trade for Jesus things that only he can do. We chase career and we chase our finances and we chase all these things. They're distracting us because we're trying to fill our lives with the one thing that is necessary. And you know what that's like? That's like swapping, that's like swapping water for gold in the desert. It would be crazy. And so as we get ready to finish this morning, of course it was implied the whole way down. That on one hand, may we say that we dare to say that our relationships unravel the moment our relationship from him unravel. And we become defragmented and whole when we sit at his feet. And so as a great hymn once said, weary, working, burdened one, wherefore toil you so. Cease your doing, all was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling by a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Doing ends in death. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.